Hi, welcome to my very first episode of this podcast I call Dark Horse Matters with Bev. My name is Bev Matayoshi and my goal for this podcast is to be in the room with creative and ambitious souls who want to share their journey, you know, about their what they're passionate about and the excitement and hardships of the pursuit. Um, many of the guests that I will be interviewing here on this show um, are entrepreneurs and they have the guts to be business owners and they have the guts to go after their dreams. So my hope is to inspire many others to do the same. It is so important to have purpose in life. And I truly believe that mental illness is so rampant in this world because of the lack of emphasis we put on passion and purpose. So I'm so excited to introduce you to my very first guest. Um, I've known him for 20 years, more than 20 years, and he is a world-renowned musician, incredible musician, um, a percussion player. He has traveled the world with some of the greatest artists, uh, and just to name a few, um, Herbie Hancock, Sting, Maxwell, Brian McKnight, and War. Um, he is not only an incredible musician, but he is one of the greatest teachers I've ever met. Truly, truly cares for his students. Um, please take the time to engage in the entire hour of this interview. Um, we will go together, we'll go into a deep dive philosophical conversation about music, education, creativity, and greatness. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Angel Luis Figueroa. Enjoy. I remember, um, who was it? Because there's a lot of people that used to go to Boulevard Auditorium at USC. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting uh, LL Cool J over there. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, he was all motioning for me to sit on his lap. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I didn't feel pretty enough to sit on his lap. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Harold was like, hey, she like jumped on him like he was Santa Claus. And I was like, no, <laughs> I have a picture with him. Was, was that the thing he was he was having girls sit on his lap? Or? Well, he was doing a book signing and uh, yeah, all the girls would go up there and take a picture with him. And he was like, sit on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> he liked like, you then. <laughs> he did that to everybody, but I was the, probably the only one who, who refused. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> wow. He would never do that now. They sue his ass. I know they'd be like those were the all kinds of uh, allegations coming out of the dark yep. closet. <laughs> it's messed up. It's true. When did you graduate from USC? 2009. 2009. It seems like I left in June. Ago. Left in June 2008, 2010. All right. Oh, has it been that long? For some reason, mm -hmm. I thought that you left, a, like, recently, like, during no. COVID. No. <laughs> so you have just been, um, just been doing your own business this whole time? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. That I did five incredible. years. 
I saw off teaching. I was like, I'm never going to teach again. <laughs> then uh, they called me from Japan. I went out there and did some work out there. And, you know, you are what you are. Even if you don't want to be what you are. You know? <laughs> and they were like, you're a great teacher. You should continue to teach, blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, okay. And I didn't know that the whole time there was this guy coming to my to my workshops that I was teaching at the time. And he he was the director of the music department over at this high school called New Roads. And it's a Herb Alpert, you know, funded school, you know, it's a private school. And after about five months, he goes, you know, you'd be perfect for this school. You know, it's a high school. I go, oh, yeah, they have to vet me and shit. And that takes a really long time. So, you know, no thanks. He goes, no, no, no. I was vetting you the whole time I was here. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I was thinking back, <laughs> did I swear and shit? Did I call women hoes? Did I say some stupid <laughs> shit? <laughs> and he goes, no, no, you've been perfect gentleman the whole time. I was like, I've never seen myself as a perfect gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Then I went and I fell in love with the kids, man. Oh my God. <laughs> These kids are so awesome. That that's like probably the the best thing about being a teacher is just being able to expose yourself to that freshness that kids have. You know, they're they're like sponges. Yeah. And it's not like university where they're all idiots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, yeah. did you meet any students over there at USC that blew you away? Like just blew you yeah, away? there was there was actually several, several. But the one that stands out is this one kid. He was 19 fucking years old. He had already gone there one year. And I was like, first of all, he was a musical genius. So he really didn't need to be there, you know. And I, I, he came to my class and he goes, I heard about your class. I'm really having trouble in all my other classes. And I thought he was an idiot, you know? I was like, oh, he's a fucking dumbass. Okay. So then I was like, well, can I just go to your classes instead of you explaining everything to me? Let me just go to your classes with you. And let's see, you know, because this wasn't the first time this happened, you know? And I would go with the student. And I would tell him, well, shouldn't you be taking notes right now, you know? And then I would be like... And then the professor would talk and I'd be like, what, what's the professor talking about right now? So to see if their comprehension was something was wrong or something like that, if they were autistic or if they had, you know, spectrum issues or, you know, what the fuck's wrong with the kids? So I would go with him to all his classes for one day. This was the first time that it happened where the kid was opposite. I was, he was like, he would raise his hand and go, professor, this is, I'm with him in another class. And the teacher's like, what do you want? Like treating him horribly, you know. Mm-hmm. It's because he's he's a Chinese kid, so it's probably why he's doing that. So I, I dismissed it, you know. <clears throat> and then he's like, "Well, you know, actually, if you go to if you go to the four, the the raised seventh four chord here, jazz wise, that would make more sense." Miles David did it at, back in you know 1977 when he did this blah blah, blah in in the and the album that he did for the kind of blue the second release, and the, the professor was like, "You you you." Did you research what I was going to do today? Because I didn't announce it. He goes, no, sir. He goes, just, just be quiet, okay? Let me just teach my class like that. 
And then I was like, what? And I raised my hand and he goes, oh, Angel, what, what's up? I said, well, don't you want to hear a kid who actually knows more about the topic than you, man? Shouldn't you, you know, come on up. To, I, I took him, come up to the board. No, I said, come with me right now. We went up to the blackboard. I go, can you write out what you were talking about? Explain it to him. He's not understanding me. <laughs> then he wrote it down and the professor was kind of getting embarrassed because, you know, and then, and, then, and then he explained it to the professor and he goes, oh, oh yeah, actually that's brilliant. Oh my God. And then, you know, so then that was one class and then all the other classes were like that. The professors didn't like him because he knew more about the fucking topic than he did, than they did. So, you know, we did that for a couple of days and then after I did a whole week assessment on his shit and I saw the grades he was getting and I called his father. I said, listen, these white motherfuckers are trying to ruin your son's GPA. I don't know if you speak English or not, but hopefully you could call me back and we could discuss this. I feel and I believe you should get him out of here as soon as possible. And I don't think he should even be in school. I think he should just make his own record, become a famous pop star, and give you guys millions and billions of dollars and move on with his life. Because <laughs> this racism over here is kicking his ass. And, and the dad calls me up and he's like, are you, are you really a professor? <laughs> and then I go, well, yeah. And he's like, or do you really work at USC? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you, you do know I'm a medical doctor. I have my own practice and I also work for the hospitals here. And I don't, and, and I think it's not funny if you call me with these kinds of messages. I was like, I said, you need to stop right there. First of all, you're talking down to the only guy who called you up to tell you that your son is a genius. Do you really want to do that? Because I'll hang up right now and I'll never pick up the phone and you will never hear my voice again. Because I don't need to be talking to you right now. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's very peculiar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's very peculiar. It's very weird. I'm like, yes, it's very weird. But your son is very weird. You know, apparently he's a fucking genius. And I don't even think you know. And he goes, well, I always knew he was smart. But I don't think, I, you, mean, you mean actual genius? I was like, actual genius level, dude. Are you hearing me? Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> and he's like, oh, my son? And then he's, he almost starts crying. He goes, oh, my God. This, I'm so sorry. And he, back to humility, very humble guy. And then, then I got to know him. The most beautiful person you've ever met in your life. Of course, this kid's a genius. His dad is awesome. His mom is super intelligent. You know, she also has a, a, a doctor's degree. But she raised him instead. So... This, this, kid's, this kid is gr grown up with two doctors teaching all this shit, all this shit. So he says, what they do is interesting, but my shit, I like music. So let me just dig in. So he dug in with the same level that they got dug into medicine because he thought that was normal. He didn't know that that was very abnormal, that you're not going to study how a note becomes another note, that the, the very timbre of the note, and then get in there and do the, the mathematics and science of the note to learn physics and chemistry and all that shit about the note that he, you know, he could tell you things about the note that you hit that you don't even know. And you're the one playing the shit, you know, like, <laughs> the kid was, he was amazing. He, his name was Jeff Yen. And I love this kid, man. So then his dad's like, his dad came to the United States and saw what I was saying. I said, you need to go with him to his classes and you need to see how the teachers treat him. It's horrible. And then his dad, after one, he didn't even wait two days. Like I did two days, but he, his dad went in. And after three classes, he came to my room. Can I talk to you? I said, well, yeah, as soon as I finish teaching, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he, he sat down and watched me teach. And he's like, you, your style is completely different. I said, yeah, this school is turning into something that I don't really like anymore. 
but you know, whatever. It's it is what it is, and I'll be leaving here soon. So he's like, So what do you think I should do? I said, Well, I left you the first message. I think you should take get him out of this school, stop paying these people this ridiculous amount of money to fuck your kid's head up. And just have him record his own record. Because you know, he, he has the, the he has the intelligence to do that and he can he, I'm sure he'll figure out the you know, digital all your workstations and all that shit, and it will be no problem for this kid. You know. He's like, Well, I'm gonna take a big chance. My family believes in education. And I'm like, you already educated him, bro. What, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Lie to you? He needs to go to school? Like, keep him in school and waste his fucking life? You know? So he's like, okay, this is highly unusual. You have a highly unusual kid. You know, you have to act like it. So then they pulled him out that same day. I got a call from the dean. Hey, you know, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm doing the truth. You want to fire me? No, no, we can't fire you. You wrote all the classes. <laughs> but please don't, please don't tell the kids to leave the school. I was like, if another genius kid comes to me and he's wasting his money here, I'm going to do the exact same thing because my loyalty is not to the school. My loyalty is to the students. And I, don't, and I think that's, that, I think that's the, 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 the problem with the school. The problem with the school is that the professors care more about what the professors say than what the kids are doing or going through. And nobody really cares about the kids. They're just $100,000, $100,000, $100,000, $100,000. And you see a thousand kids, that's $750 million. Every time you see a kid, you're thinking about how much money he is. But that, that's a person with a history. Her mom died. His father died. Their parents are getting divorced. This kid's uh, been molested. This one's been you know, thrown out of the house. This one has absolutely no money and no food in her, in her dorm. This one, you know, every, it's fucking people, man. They're, they're human beings, you know? And that was the thing I didn't like about USC, you know? So then about three months later, I get a call from the dad. Uh, I'm sending my son to your do your recording studio. I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Why, why are you doing that? But you know, I'm, I'm giving him, I gave him a lot of money. He has all the money. And so he's, we want you to record him. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, go to, I don't do pop music. I only do Latin and jazz and, well, no, no, he wants to mix pop with Latin. Uh, he wants to mix pop with jazz. I don't know what he has in mind. I don't understand him anymore. He speaks beyond my understanding of the music. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. You know, because when he went home, he started, he just dug into the books again, you know. So then when he got here, he, he brought two of his friends and then I, I, I put him up. I said, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's do this. He, he dropped 10 grand on me and shit. I was like, oh, I can't take this. This is too much. It doesn't cost that much. He goes, my dad will kill me if he finds out that I did not give you this money. He Aww. wants me to give you this money. He goes, it's one-tenth of what we were paying the school. Think of it like that. And I was like, oh, well, if you think okay. of it that way, you know. <laughs> money, so then I then. Money, <laughs> and, and we did this recording. And at the end of the recording, I'm, you know, I was here alone. They all left. And I, and I said, I haven't heard it because, you know, you, you record, record, and you, now you're fixing the bass part and over and over again. You know, you know how production is. Mm-hmm. And then you fix the guitar and you fix that part. I fucking, end up, you know, it's a big fucking pain in the ass, but you never hear the whole thing. So then I, I did a quick little mix and then I, I, they had left and I just pressed play and my tears were falling down my face. I was like, oh my God, this fucking kid's going to be a fucking huge star. I was like, this is, this is not something that I was blown away, man. He took the recording. He goes, who should I give it to? I said, I would first go to Sony. Then I would go to fucking uh, BMI. Then I would go, I mean, not BMI. I mean, uh, uh, you know, all the record labels at the time. I'm forgetting them because it's been so long that I've even mentioned the record label. <laughs> <'Cause> they're <laughs> gone, you know. But, but 
you know, so EMI, EMI. And then and I told him, just check all the ones that have the, that do this kind of music. And then I go, actually, a second thought, don't check the ones that do this kind of music. Check the ones that don't because they'll just sign you and then shelf you. What does that mean? I was like, they won't, they'll sign you and they'll pay you your money and then they won't put your music out. Why would they do that? Because the artists that they're making money on, you, you would be taking from that artist and they already have a vested, you know, they're paying for the artist or they're putting them up in fancy hotels and they're spending a lot of money. So they have to make that money back from that artist. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he did what I said. Sony picked them up, gave him $2.3 million. Sony, right? He, he uses his record. It sells 14 million copies. Yeah. I mean, it's China, right? So they're going to, 14 million is like, oh man, you have to sell more records. This is not enough, you know, like, it's like 2 billion people, you know? Like, <laughs> so it's like so fucking crazy shit. Like, then he calls me three years later and he's like, Hey, Angel, professor, he never called me. He goes, hey, professor, um, I want you to come. My, my father and mother insist on bringing you. I want to bring your wife and kid. Everything first class. I'm like, oh, you don't have to do that. I'll go. You know, yeah, I could go economy. You know, no, no, you don't understand. You will see. You will understand when you come. So then I get there, first class. I'm like, I told Liz, I don't want to go. I'm scared. What the fuck are you scared about? It's Taiwan. It's like... You should be scared about going outside. You're in Santa Monica. Like, you're, they might mug you here. You know, like, over there, there's, they, don't, they don't have that shit. It's like, doesn't exist. Like, I don't know. I, went, I go to Mexico and it's all fucked up. I'm like, this ain't Mexico, baby girl. You know? <laughs> but anyway, she didn't want to go. She didn't want me to take the baby. So, you know, she was only three years old at the time. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. You know what? I went by myself. I get there. He picks me up in a limousine. Right? He takes me to this mansion that he had just bought. I'm staying, he goes, I have a hotel for you. He goes, but I would like for you to stay here. I was like, well, actually I prefer, I don't like hotels. I'd rather stay here. He's like, oh, okay. So he gave me a room, <clears throat> man. Everywhere we went, we went to, I, he goes, I want to go get some bubble gum. Oh, okay, cool. He was trying to show me what had happened since we had last seen each other, right? Mm -hmm. So then we go to the store, we walk in. I mean, our foot wasn't even in the door yet. And somebody was behind him pulling on him and shit. I said, hey, hey, relax, what are you doing? leave him go so then he, he he went inside the store very humble and he's like he's he nods to the lady and everybody's yan jay yan jay who the fuck is yan jay what the fuck is going on he changed <laughs> his name to yan jay and he became a, one of those korean pop star guys hey, you know the beautiful face guys he does dances and shit and then everywhere we go and he goes i just want some bubble gum and the guy goes no no not for you you don't pay for anything here i was like what the fuck <laughs> and, then, and then we're going from store to store. And I mean, Taiwan is even more advanced than we are. We, Taiwan, those countries are more advanced than us. Shit. Man, we went to a restaurant and we ate. And then the restaurant owner was like, he put, he put the bill down, the check down, and, and it had not, no money on it. He, he, and then Jay looked up and he goes, I just want your autograph. That will be your payment. Wow. We had like $300 worth of food, right? That's how famous he got, right? So even the restaurant owner wouldn't take our money. I was like, you know what? This is bullshit. The rich people that, that have money, they don't pay shit. And the poor people that don't have money have to pay everything. He goes, yeah, I know. That's why I always try to pay, professor. I'm like, yeah, you know. So then we do the show. Man, I got pictures. It's going to fuck you up. That show was ridiculous. I never seen some high-tech shit like this, man. First of all, he in the beginning, of, it's the, the album, the, the new album that he had out was called Piano Man. And the idea was that this guy, a piano player from the future, and in that future, 
the musicians became the technological enthusiasts. They, they were the ones that developed, you know, space travel and time travel and all that shit. The musicians were the, the, were the like the Einsteins, right? Mm-hmm. So, which in his case makes perfect sense for him to think that because that's what happened with him, right? You know what I mean? So then, and then he goes back in time and comes to this era now, you know, and, and he's, he falls in love with this, this girl and she's this shiny Taiwanese girl and he falls in love with her and then he, he can't take her back because she won't be able to understand everything and, and he, he fears that. So there's this dichotomy, like there's this like play against itself, you know. So in the, in the, in the, when you go see the show, he, he falls down from heaven in this time machine and this time machine is this piano, a circular piano that he has that he's playing to, to come through time. It's just, you know, and and if you re- and if you read anything by Michio Kaku, or any of the the, the brilliant uh, M theorists and and the string string theory theorists, you you the basic premise of string theory, which is Michio Kaku's creation, right, is that at the very the very bottom, the very the most smallest element in the universe is a vibrating string. Can you believe that? So I, this whole this whole fucking cosmic insanity is all musical shit. It's all just music. Music manifests itself as you. Music manifests itself as me. I mean, don't believe me. Look it up. It's like the most mind-boggling shit. And I was like, I fucking <laughs> knew it. I fucking knew that we were important, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like, musicians are the fucking, you know, after I read that, I started practicing more. I started, you know, you got to read string theory. You got to read Mich- Micho Kaku. He's the one that created string theory, you know, but this kid was, man, that show blew me away. And, you know, it's not just about being smart. He, he was dancing. He would do these incredible, awesome dances, like really modern shit, you know, like Michael Jackson and shit. And then he would flip up backwards and land on his feet. And I'd just be like, what the fuck? This is like, and then he would be tra- playing trombone and shit. Then he, he put his trombone, somebody would run by and they would grab the trombone. Everything was so planned perfectly, you know? And then he would start playing guitar and, and, and the mood could completely change and the lights in the, in, the, in the auditorium was like, it was, I was just blown away. I have all that footage. I mean, it's just, then he calls me up and he's, he, 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 he says, hey, my professor's here. I just want to say thank you because if it wasn't for him, none of this would be possible. <sighs> the people were nuts, like, you know, 30,000 people all, you know, standing up, giving me a standing ovation. And I'm looking around, I'm killing with this fucking killer suit that I had, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, motherfuckers, you know? <laughs> and I'm sure they were surprised that I was black because they were like, you know, but it was just a moment that I'll never forget. I just never forget that shit. You know, that's that why I teach. So that's why I teach. And I remembered why I teach. And then I started going back to teaching again, you know, because it's important to affect people, you know, not just do your own thing. You know, I think um, you are like an incredible, incredible musician. Like, I mean, I didn't even have words to say how great you are at, you know, your craft, playing the the, the congas and, you know, percussion in general. But yeah, when I talk about, when I think about what a great teacher you are, like that, I think is your greatest gift. And it sucks that, the system, you know, has to be the way it is because 
people need teachers like you. That's how their their gifts come out when when they have good teachers to bring it out of them. You know. I agree. You know, and I'm gonna tell you, I've been reading about the system I, I, because lately I've been like, what the fuck is wrong with this fucking country, man? You know. <laughs> And I'm sure a lot of people are like, what's wrong with this country? Nobody, because nobody knows what's wrong because nobody wants to look at what's wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're in, the, in, in a fishbowl and you're a fish and you're swimming in the water, you're like, <clears throat> but, you know, you, you're trying to understand where you are, but you can't because you're in there, you know? So can I ask you like, because as long as we've known each other, like, mm-hmm. I try to think about, like, what I know about you. Like, I don't know anything about you. Like, where, you're from Puerto Rico, where your parents, yeah. did they, my, did they come here too? Or was yeah, it just my you? mom, my mom came here, brought me with her and my sister and my older brother. There was three of us. And my little sister was just born. And we, you know, she, we came in 1963. So I was like two years old. So you know. your mom, no, j- your mom's single mom or your dad too? No, my mom was running from my dad. Oh. Because my dad was going to kill her. Oh, goodness. And he had already killed several people. So it was not oh. some bullshit. Oh, he's going to kill me. She came because he was going to kill us. That's nuts. And too bad he died because I wanted to go over there and put a knife in his fucking neck. Wow. I yeah. did not know he that. He was an evil guy. They stabbed him like 90 times to kill him. The neighborhood got together and they all went into his house and stabbed him 90 times. That's, That's how he died. Yeah, his and own neighbors was, killed him. Your mom is just a survivor. She, she yeah, got man, she, the way in. Dude, she, and you know, you know, thank God that we weren't immigrating or anything because Puerto Ricans, you know, we don't immigrate here. We're, we're Americans, you know. I don't know if you knew that. You guys were able to come here like how old were you when, is your sister musical too? Like how old were you when you knew you were a creative person, like a musical person? Like how did, when did you start playing music? Well, it actually was an accident. You know, my brother was a poet. He's a badass poet too. And he used to take me with him to the poetry collectives and they had artists that were painting. Yeah. You know, for me, when I was a kid, I, I was going to those artists and because I was the worst possible oil painting motherfucker on the planet Earth. <laughs> there has never been a vacuum of talent bigger than the one I had for painting oil painting. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find so they go, but they didn't want to tell me you know they would give me these white overalls I was a little tiny little shit you know I was seven years old and they would put me in these white overalls you know and I remember it was always got my head because nobody wanted to deal with a kid you know got my head had the heart to deal with me he would be like oh come on take off your pants take off your shirt okay now here put this on you have to put this on like this and he would fix it for me 
then my brother would be like, oh, you dressing him again? <laughs> yeah, because he's going to fuck up his pants. And, you know, your mom says she was going to fucking literally stab me in the neck if I brought him back with paint on his pants again. Because <laughs> she didn't have money to buy me pants every week. So, And then he was like, I ain't going to get stabbed in the neck. Are you? And my brother would be like, no, no, no. Change his clothes. Change his clothes. <laughs> so they would change my clothes. And then I would go and I put more paint on me than on the canvas. Like scientifically, it would, I, I was so bad that I was like, and then I would look and I would be like, I messed it up again. And then they would come. No, it looks good. And everybody would be strained and they say, they would just be strained. They'd be like, yeah, it looks really good. You know, like they, they were artists, so they didn't want to lie to me, you know, <laughs> but they had it because I was a little kid, so they were lying. <laughs> you know, so then the next time I came back and this was like, this went on for fucking months and months. One time I went, and there was a pair of bongos in the corner. And Gamayev was like, you know, we're going to paint, but we have to do this really fast today because we're making a mural. Don't you want to go play those bongos? <laughs> Do you want me to paint? <laughs> I was wasting all their paints. <laughs> like, I'm so fucked up, dude. Don't you want to play, play some bongos? Uh, okay. So I go, I didn't get, I didn't get dressed or nothing. I went and got the bongos and I was playing them and shit. And the whole place was like, all the artists, like it was a big fucking room, you know, it was called El Taller, the artist collective. And all the artists would go there and paint. It was the most beautiful shit. I remember those days. They don't have anything like that now. Motherfuckers have to be alone. They have to paint alone. I want want my own shit. Everybody's on their own shit, which is actually actually shit, you know? (laughs) When they paint together, that's when they created a way of painting. But everybody had their ideas. Oh, you know what? If you curve it there, yeah. They would speak about it and talk about it. And then everybody tried the new techniques. And they were developing the, the art. And, and it was becoming a, a, a beautiful, man, these artists, I, I'm going to show you some shit. You know, some of it is at the Chicago Institute, Art Institute. Yeah. Because it was an era and it was a time. It was in the 70s. It was an era. Uh, and was, yeah, please. So. I would love to see that. Yeah, you know, so how, that's how I gotta you tell you the drums. You yeah, were so, just sitting in the corner playing the. No, no, no! <laughs> I was forced to play them because I was such a bad artist. They were like, "Okay, go out, grab the bongos, man." Go. But they didn't say like that, you know. I'm a little kid, so they're like, "Don't you want to play the bongos instead mm-hmm. of painting?" Because we have fun when you play the bongos. So then, but the first time I played them, every every all the artists stopped and they all came and they were looking at me like, "What the fuck have we been forcing them to paint for? This little fucker could play these fucking things." <laughs> That's and I just, awesome. I, you know, I could play the fuck out of the bongos as soon as they put them between my legs. It was the weirdest shit. Wow. I found the affinity because the skin and the wood and the metal, you know, the metal was death to me. And I, I actually was thinking that, like, actually thinking that. Like, I remember I was like, the skins are like the animals. They're beautiful. And the wood is like the plants. And all the plants are beautiful. And the metal is like death. Because I've seen so much death, you know. I, was, I know I was little, but I was living in Humble Park. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but in, at the time, there was more murders in Humboldt Park than there were in Vietnam. Oh, Think about that no, for a I second. Didn't know that. Yeah, that's the fucking facts. You could look that up. So it's like, you know, I saw so much death, man, all around all the time. Like, you know, and it was crazy. My mom made me think of new routes to go how to get to school. And my cousin took me through all the gangways of all the houses, you know, that's showed crazy. me where the houses that had dogs. So I could, I could take those gangways and I had all these maps. I had like 17 maps up and I would just randomly pick up a map and then go. 
So nobody would know how, where I was, how, to, how I was getting to school, how I was getting back home, you know. That's crazy. And it's, you're it's, that it's, small. What, yeah, seven, when I first started. Then when I was nine, I did my first show. And it was in a church and they had a, a cement floor with no rug or nothing. It was just cement. And unfortunately, my hands were little. So the bells were really big back then and really heavy. So I was playing the cowbell and the band was doing really well. And then I, I slipped and my hand slipped and the cowbell fell down. And it made such a huge noise because it was, you know, metal on cement. It was such a big noise that the whole band ended up stopping. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And I picked up the bell and then I turned around and I couldn't face the audience. And then I just played the rest of the show like that. And everybody was like, oh, pobrecito, the little kid, he can't turn around, you know? And for like almost a year, uh, my band, they loved me. So they put up with me not being able to look at the audience. And what I had was, what happened was that I had developed this thing called topophobia. So my mom took me to, a, you know, those counselors that they had for poor people back in the day. <laughs> they don't have those anymore, though. They used to have them because, you know, a lot of us were killing a lot of people. So they put counselors <laughs> and try to convince us not to do that shit. But anyway, I went to one of those counselors and the lady was like, this is him. She was like, yeah, he, he's kind of young, you know, like, he's, he's like, you know, and she, he's like, no, he's nine. But, you know, he has problems. He can't he can't play on the stage. Oh, oh, so you have. Then she looked it up and she goes, oh, what you have is called topophobia. You have stage fright. It's a very intense type of stage fright, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to get through it. So then she made me do exercises before. And I would, I would do physical exercises and mental exercises. And then I would do spiritual exercises and meditation. And then I would go on the stage. And then I, I would do that for two hours and then go on the stage. Then I would, after a while, I did it for an hour, an hour and 50 minutes. Then I, would go to, then I did it for an hour and 30 minutes. And I shortened it and shortened it until I was just doing some push-ups, a quick meditation, go on the stage. But by then I was 12, 11, 12, winning all kinds of awards. I had my shit together. I was facing the audience again, you know. So I went through this whole thing about the stage, you know. Yeah. Now, do you still experience that now, or is it like completely gone? Like you can, you can handle it. And this is a good indication that you maybe you found your calling, because those questions that you're asking, I've never been asked, and I've been interviewed for a, a, a lot, really? <laughs> all kind of interviews from all kind of countries. Well, today. It's, it's a different type of topophobia. In other words, if I play a small club, um, you know, and there's only like seven or eight people there, I'm okay. It's, if it turns into like 30 or 40 people, I'm okay. But the minute it hits 100, from 100 people to about, let's say, I would say 700 people, I freak the fuck out. I start, I start, my hand starts panicking. I start, but when it's 750 people, then I go into Michael Jackson mode. I'm, I'm perfectly cool. I'm doing my dances. I'm doing my shit. No problem. 800, 900. I've, I've played with Sting for 150,000 people in, in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado at a, at a Rodeo. 150,000 people. That's nuts. And I don't I, even know. And, what I, and, I, and, I, and I lifted my pants up and I, put, and I put bobby pins on the pants so that they look like Michael Jackson. I put white socks on and black shoes. And then I did the moonwalk going out. <laughs> you know and then all the people were like but when it's that many people you start you hit it starts like and they start seeing back and then people oh somebody's in the stage then and then as it goes back 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 more the wall of fucking sound starts to come then when everybody all the way out the back starts screaming and everybody's screaming at the same time 
it's it's like your 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 body's it's like it it's I can't explain it. It's like really fucking loud, like you know, and, and you, your ears are exploded, and you're you and I and I was doing the dance like this because it was so fucking loud, and then I, I just came back and Sting was laughing his ass off. He goes, he's like. I didn't know it was gonna they were gonna react that way. I was like, holy shit, there's those people are crazy out there. Like, you know, but I didn't have no stage fright or anything. So I, I then I said, okay, I'm gonna only play with the huge artists because, you know, for one, it pays more, and for two, I don't feel scared on stage. I don't have to worry, you know. But I think that if I did I, I'm glad I had it because it really made me a good musician. If I I prepared and sometimes over prepared, you know. So and, I you know, guess like what you were saying, like when you were a kid, like they, with art versus your music. I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is whether or not you think talent can be cultivated or if it's something that's just born inside. Like you just told me, I mean, really, I mean, music, that, that was your, your talent that was born within. Like, you, do you think well, that? I mean, how, what do you mean by born enough? within? Right. Because look, listen to yourself. If if I was seven years old and I was watching murder kills and I saw people falling from rooftops and dying, their head exploding, I saw my best friend get hit by a car and his brains came out of his head and his, his arm was severed from his body. I have, when the ambulance found us, I was putting his arm back on his body without crying or anything. I, I, was, I was like seven years old at the time and I was putting his arm back on his body. I was trying to, I didn't, I didn't know he was dead. I didn't, I couldn't like, and then I didn't talk for like seven months. So I had to go to therapy for that shit. So it's like, it, I seen so much insanity. Like the you, little kids should never see that when I picked up the bongos, then, then it was, there was an affinity, you know, and, you know, and maybe because I, I all the craziness I saw even before I was seven years old, because like when I was five, my, my, I woke up in the middle and I was looking up at the ceiling and it because it was shimmering i was like wow how beautiful i never seen that before i'm just there for like five minutes enjoying my house burning you know i didn't know it was burning i just saw the flickering of the flames on the ceiling and i thought it was beautiful and i was just watching it for like five minutes and then i smelled smoke I was like, <laughs> and then like Mommy! and it's i ran beautiful. and i woke her up and i woke everybody up they had thrown a, a cocktail bomb upstairs because the latin kings lived up there and they, everybody up there died. They were already they were already dead when we when, when I saw the smoke coming. Yeah, they were I can't already burned. Through that. Went through that. Hmm? And do you think that the bongos? I mean, that being introduced into your life. Do you think that? I mean, that saved you. It it gave you a purpose and a path in your life to that was something that you could focus on that brought you to where you are now. Yeah, I think in a in a sense, yeah, and that's because I, uh, the there's such a simple instrument like, you know, the piano is so overcomplicated. Like, you when you look inside of it, I mean, not not the keys. The keys are actually pretty simple, but but you know, of course, the human mind can make anything complicated. Like Herbie takes a piano and he does chordal arrangements, and you're like, what? Like, oh. <laughs> you know, but but I'm not saying piano is easy or simple. I'm just saying the insides of it are so overcomplicated. You know, it's basically a, a key hitting a hammer and a hammer hits the string. But they made it so, they've put so many mechanisms in between those two, you know, actions that it's, just, I don't know, it's just, and I see the complication of it all. I don't think I would have been who I am if I would have played piano, but but I played percussion. So it was a skin, 
a piece of wood and some metal that held it together. And so it was simple. So that simplicity gave me the ability to see things, to try to make things simple. And that is what made me who I am because I always, if something's super complicated, I, I, I doubt it like a motherfucker. I'm like, mm, yeah, mm. right. <laughs> it's really complicated. Then I don't want any part of it. You know. You know, it's funny how you say that um, when you, the, the percussion is what you saw it as simplified. Because when I hear you play the drums, I, I, I hear so much complexity. Like, how does he make that sound with that instrument, which just seems so, you know, it seems simple when you look at it. But the sounds that you create from it are far more complex than what normal musicians can play, I think. Like, and no, I think it's, true. it's really that, cool that you say that. That's what I was that. saying. The mind, the mind is a motherfucker, man. Like, you could take something simple like bongos. You know, it's just two notes, right? That's it. Then you could start making new notes like and then you start to combine them and the same thing, but in a different place. It sounds completely different, but it's just that it's in a different place and in the time. And so what makes it complicated is that we are not three-dimensional beings. We are not four-dimensional beings. You know, we have multiple dimensions. I mean, the, we, know, we know that we live in four dimensions. Everybody goes, it's three-dimensional, man. It's like, really? In the time that it took you to say that, you prove that it's four-dimensional. You know, time is a dimension. Or like they say, only, we only have five senses, man. You know, it's hearing, smell, taste, touch. And what was the last one? Taste, right? Taste, smell, touch, hearing, sight. I forgot sight. Like you could take a pair of bongos and make some really beautiful stuff because you start to organize everything. It's like life. You know, DNA, you are just a few, five, five things. A, D, T, G, and, a, and, and C. That's it. And those things, how they're arranged, makes you. And then because you're, they're arranged in such a way it, and you have so much matter up here, you start to think. And then thinking creates this, this speaker. <laughs> The speaker creates no. my ears hear the speaker and I'm like shit I want to play music then I it creates a musician you know and then I, mm -hmm. I you know it's like yeah it's simple but all these simple things together make really complex beautiful gorgeous things and also really complex ugly horrible things yeah you know so let's keep an eye on that shit too but so the basic idea is I believe that your experiences shape who you are and through those experiences you find out what you want to do what's the most uh, emotionally attached you can get to something as a result of the experiences that you had so were you born into it yes you were born into it in the sense that only you went through those experiences only your dna would have reacted in that way to those experiences and only my dna would have been the bongo player that i became because of those experiences and mm -hmm. and that's what's um i think hard to explain to people because they everybody always wants a quick answer were you born that way no i had to practice a lot yeah. i practiced <laughs> a lot and you know for me it was not practice it was therapy so i was lucky but there's people that have to actually sit down and practice they're not it's not therapy for them that's mm -hmm. discipline but i don't i don't i couldn't have done it like that i had to i had to feel love i had to love every second of it and and feel this whole emotional you know 
c- commitment and, and and attachment to to feel like like it was you know doing something for me you know but because I, I did something for me then I was able to do something for someone else because I could I could make them feel the way I felt when I was playing and practicing that's a good way of putting it like creative people I find to be like a totally different category than others because of this emotional connection with their creativity like people who aren't and they use they can still be good at something but it's it takes discipline and a lot of just you know like you said but if you use it as an emotional like this is what's helping me um you know get through life you know like it that emotional connection to it that that I don't know that to me makes a creative person stand out different than people who aren't as creative and just become good at something because of discipline. Absolutely. Now, without the discipline, you really are just dead in the water. And I mean, I know people that lie that they said, "Oh, I never practiced. I was always good," but they're lying. Yeah. You know, they're lying. And then I actually know some people that don't need to practice that much. Like I had to practice nine hours a day because I was kind of dumb. But I know some people that practice only four or five hours a day that are even better than I am and how they did it. I don't know. But, um, you know, they they obviously didn't have all the psychological problems I had, (laughs) you know, growing up. You know, so it was actually a handicap. But through that handicap, I was able to get to where I am. So I don't I don't regret any of it. You know, I just wish a lot of my friends didn't have to die to get me to be who I am, you know. Yeah. But, it's, you know, it is what it is, you know. What do you think? Things. What is your definition of uh, greatness? Like, I, w- I was talking to Kim about this. We had a conversation about this, me and my sister, Kim. We were talking about the definition and the, dif- the difference between greatness and mediocrity. Like, I mean, I... It, everyone's definition must be different, but I want to hear what yours, your, what you think about it. Because I've seen, I've seen people who are not great become the president of this country, you know, with black hearts and evil inside them. And, and we attribute greatness to them, but they don't have any greatness in them. It's just our, what we, what we see in them is not what they have in them. And so it's so it's so subjective thing, but I do believe the objective idea of greatness is a potential that every single human being is born with, and I believe that the caste system uh, is what makes us think there has to be people born great and there has to be people not born great. But I don't believe that shit for a second because I seen a, a, a an autistic kid play bongos after I taught him. And it took me less time to teach him than anybody else. <laughs> and, I, and I've seen, I've seen a, a, one of those mongoloing, mongoloing kids. I don't know what the name is. They run a, 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 a donut shop. It's their donut shop. You know, and she's, I think she's like 27 now. And her donut shop is say, selling like crazy because she's concentrated on what she's doing. She's making donuts all day. And that's her mantra. That's her love. That's what she does. And she makes them better and better every time you go back. It's like the weirdest thing. Like, you know how a, a company, you go and you get their donuts, Krispy Kreme, right? And then you mm-hmm. go, man, these donuts are good. And then the next time you come back, they're so good. But they're not better than the last time you went. But no, this little girl, she's in there because she's Mongol, Mong- Mongoloid. You know, she's 
she doesn't have anything else. She's in there. Her love is that. And, and then it becomes such a beautiful thing. Like now she's in there concentrated and creating new types of donuts and just most beautiful. And you go and have a donut. My God, this is better than last time. You know, like, and you don't, you don't experience that very often. So anyone can be great. And I believe everyone has the potential to be great. So, you know, it's just, you know, um, I, I believe some people are born evil because they have something wrong with their chemistry or because their their neurons are not firing correctly. And, you know, but, but, but those are the only ones that to me, I can't explain. But even that evil, even evil people can become uh, great, you know? That is true. Like, yeah, because it, look at, look at Trump. I believe he's like that, you know, and, and, but he's still great in the sense that he became the most powerful man in the world for four years. I mean, if that's not great, then I don't know what the definition of great is. I mean, but just because you're great doesn't mean that you're good. It doesn't mean that you're positive or creating positive change mm -hmm. for humanity. True. You know, so I think great is overrated. So here we think, oh, is, can everybody, anybody be great? Or are only just some people great? No, everybody's born great. It's just how quick can you fuck that up for them? That is a good way to look at it. It's crazy. After everything you've been through in life and, you know, all the places that you've been, um, do you think that you, the place that you ended up, especially after the COVID, you know, like, do you, do you feel like you're okay? Like you, you're happy. You're experiencing life doing what you love, you know, still doing music and you have your family, you know, like, do you think that you, you've accomplished everything that you wanted, you wanted to set out to accomplish coming here to America and just looking at everything that you've been through? Um, well, I've accomplished everything I've wanted to accomplish. Um, but I set out to get a, 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 you know, a doctor's degree, but I didn't do that. But I did it. I did that in the sense of like, I know enough knowledge that I could, you know, they considered me a doctor. Like USC gave me an honorary master's, right? They said, you know, you're, you're a master's level. You play with Herbie Hancock, you're at a master's level. So we're going to treat you like a master's degree. And then they gave me classes and all this shit. And then I designed all their classes. And then there, there was doctors turning in classes. You know, you have to turn them in and they have to be approved by the state. It's not something that just happens, you know, you don't just mm -hmm. write a class. But I, all the classes I submitted were accepted by the state. But some doctors that I knew were writing classes and their classes would not be accepted. So I was like, what are they doing? Like, I thought they were doctors. Shouldn't they have that shit down by now? You know, like, but my point is, um, you, you give yourself the degree that you have. Like, for, yeah. for example, that, that, that Yen J kid, you should look him up, by the way. He's, his music is ridiculous. That kid had a doctor's degree. He, he had it. So I realized once I had the experience with him and I started realizing, Konya, you know, this degree shit, it's really a lot of bullshit, you know? Because this, this person won't hire me unless I have this degree from this school. And it, of course, it's not going to work very well if everyone has degrees. So then they, they started charging so much money that nobody could go to school. You know, that, that is such a, a big thing that they feed everyone. Like, it's such a big business, like the whole educational system. I, I truly believe you don't need one of those really expensive higher educations to be successful. You don't need that at all. Well, I mean, you know, what school did Gandhi go to? 
I mean, and, and, and George Bush went to Yale. I mean, <laughs> go, go ask Bill Gates what, what school, what university he went to. <laughs> he, he won't like you, but, but he didn't go to school. So, like, go ask Warren Buffett, the, the third richest man on the planet Earth, what school he went to. And he's going to tell you, I never went to college. I, I skipped that bullshit. Now, would I rather be operated by a guy who had a, a, a doctor, uh, his medical doctor's degree from Harvard? Or would I rather be operated from a guy who came up in the ghetto and didn't go to school? I'm going to go with the Harvard guy. Right, right. I mean, so there's, there's, that goes to a certain point. But when it comes to money or music or anything that you have to create or improvise or something that you like business, I don't believe that shit. I don't believe you have to go to school for that. But when it comes to something like becoming a medical doctor or something like, you know, something that's, you know, something like that, then I believe you should go. What kind of advice would you give to a struggling artist, creative person that wants to, I don't know, become, wants to end up in a place where they could live their life doing what they love, being creative without having to worry about, you know, just struggling. I, I always see that as a stigma with creative people, the struggling artist, the struggling musician, you know, a lot of them, like, I get it from people like, oh, they're like, oh, you're so creative, you know, and they do the head tilt, like, poor thing. <laughs> you know, like a lot of yeah. creative people are just emotional, and they have a lot of internal tor- turmoil going on. But what kind of, you know, those, those, you- those people, I call them the media, the mediocrity, the, 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 the section of the population that's that does what they're told, they got their jobs, they're safe and they're secure, and yet they come to me to find their happiness. So fuck them. (laughs) Like, look, if it wasn't for us, you guys wouldn't have anywhere to go to release all the crap that you have in you because you decided not to follow your own shit. And another thing, the opposite end of that is when they tell you, you do you. Well, unless they're creating their own language and they're creating their own society, they have their own money and, and they're on their own dollar bill and they have their own university that's named after them that they went to. You, there's no such thing as you do you. You do you. Que carajo? Are, are you creating a new system of, of, of writing music? Uh, is your music that different that it's going to only be you? Come on. You do you. Come on, man. That, every time somebody tells me that, I, I always get like, oh, you okay. I'll do me. Yeah, no worries. And then when they keep calling and calling, hey, did you got the project? Oh, I didn't, I didn't do it. Well, what happened? I did me, bro. You know, you didn't give me any, anything to, 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 to any, any information or anything like that because they're just being lazy. They just, they're mediocre. They, they have no ideas. They want you to, they want to take your shit. So they say, you do you. Fuck you. How about if I do myself or I do this chick over here instead while you <laughs> worry about, you know, like, Fuck you. That whole thing is bullshit. But there's a lot. That question is very loaded because, you know, if there was no suffering, there would be no no progress. Like, I don't understand. Like, if Leonardo da Vinci could have been gay and he, he could have just been himself and been gay and had his lovers and, and the church wasn't trying to condemn him for being gay and the church wasn't condemning him for being smart and the church wasn't condemning him for trying to do beautiful art and making inventions, then he would have... Could you imagine? What would he have invented? Nothing. What would he have painted? Nothing. 
So angst is an awesome motivator. And it's also, you know, I mean, you could either take it and be motivated or you could be like my friend, um, Paul, who killed himself. He took a lot of heroin and killed himself and left a note saying why he did it. It's either going to destroy you or it's going to make you stronger. Right. But if, if, if your goal in life is not to feel anything and to go through life safe and not to be in trouble, then I don't understand why are you live? Why are you alive? You know, so anybody that asks you that question, they're just, there's a, they're a fool in their own foolishness. They're not even their own fool. They're a fool in, the, in somebody else's insanity. And they're too dumb to figure out that, th that what they're saying is really, really stupid shit. Because I always ask them, when was the last time you cried? Uh, do you feel like, you know, as an artist, you, you know, that you feel that suffering is important to the artist? Oh, what, oh, wait, excuse me. When was the last time you cried? Oh, oh, they get all like, they're asking me when the last time I cried is. That's okay. But I, when I ask them when's the last time they cried, they, that's not okay. You see what I'm saying? It's a double standard, you know, mm -hmm. that they have for artists. And, and artists, I mean musicians, people that paint, people that dance, people that do something that's creative, artists, you know, you know. I think the most beautiful art is coming from a place of pure, like, it, if you don't feel your art, it's not. I mean, that's that's what makes it beautiful, especially, you know, if it comes from experiences, you know, like, th that's what makes art beautiful to me. Yeah, I mean, look, the perfect example is the most me mediocre human being that ever lived and walked the face of this earth. His name was Bob Dylan. He had absolutely zero talent. He had absolutely zero idea of what he was doing. He had absolutely respect for himself or anybody else around him. So how in the hell did he become one of the most famous singers that ever lived? Right? You know, he wasn't really singing. You know what I'm saying? So what is it about the guy? Well, I saw this girl and she's running. She came up to me. She said, don't go. He was telling his story. That's it. He just, he respected himself enough to say, this is my story. What's yours? Oh, it's just that you, you can't sing and you can't dance and you can't do anything, but we are so great. What makes him great? That he's a, if Bob Dylan is a perfect example of any motherfucker could do any motherfucking thing, period. If you're an idiot from the ghetto, you could still rise up to become a nuclear scientist. If that's what the fuck you want to do. There's so sir. much power in art. There's so much power there. It's, and it's here, just... It's a big motivator for people ma in the masses. Yeah, here we exploit the artists to the fucking, to the upteenth level. Like, you know, they gave Spotify and, and, and Google and all this shit the power to, ex to take all the money from the fucking writers. They, man, they don't pay shit. When you put your music on their thing, they give you 0 0.03 cents per, per listen. I mean, that's so fucked up. That they can do that. And then they keep all that money and they don't give you anything. It's like, how is that okay? Like one guy is making all the money from all of these talented writers. And so the writers are getting less and less writers. You're, gonna, you're noticing right, 
good music's becoming more and more rare. There's a lot of music. It just sucks, you know. And then they say, oh, that's good music. Well, they don't know what good music, do you? Be yeah, because you don't, you're not a musician. You don't play. You don't even know what a good talent is. You don't know what a good note is. You don't, you don't really know good music. So how, who are you to say, you know? And then they, they, they uh, it's just, look, we're, we're in trouble. We gotta see some passionate few that's gonna rise up and stand out amongst the crowd. You think that yeah, exists? I thought that, like Neo in the Matrix. Yeah, and you know it's always possible. I'm not gonna say it's not. It's, it's impossible. I'm not gonna say that because we've come up through a lot of shit. But hmm. any other questions? I, mean, I think we're out on time because my kids are hungry right now. They're like, Mom, I'm going to turn the light off and on until you come and feed me. <laughs> I'm going to start shaking the Christmas tree right now like a Morocco. Well, go feed them. And uh, I'm going to be here for a while. So I'm going to get to work. I have hey, send a lot me of stuff some of those um, pictures of the artwork. I would love to see it. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'll do that right now. And give me some pictures, too, of you playing. I'll take music. a picture of the Sting, Sting and Herbie and me. And I'll take a picture of the some of the art I have here. You know, so if I were to organize a jam session, would, would you participate in that? It's so not I don't live. Know I, it wouldn't be live. You would have to film yourself playing with the video, you know, with the, uh, with the sound in your ears. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Yeah. That's yes. cool. Yeah, it's, that sounds like a fun, it's going to be fun. Cool. Know, I get a chance to play a little bit. Yay! Yeah, I, that's one of my um, bucket lists to play with Angel Field. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we played together before, didn't we? No, I could have sworn we did when we when your band was playing. I played with you guys. Did you? Yeah. I... Gosh, I must have been really drunk or something. Oh, we were fucked never... up from the ground up. That's for sure. That's there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Let's not get shit twisted. Let's not pretend now that we're older. <laughs> no, I was Thank high. You. you were high. We were all yeah. high, honey. It was. Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was... Thank God we did that, though, right? Yep. All, <laughs> all right, Angel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you spending time with me. This was fun. Covered all the questions, right? Yeah. We did more, way more questions than I had planned, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Because I saw all those questions and I was like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of questions!" I didn't even read them. All <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> I really appreciate you. I love you, baby. I think you're awesome. Love you too. <laughs> all right. I'll you see you later. Okay. Bye. Bye, baby.